preaching out of two different passages, uh, passages, and they're on opposite ends of the Bible, so I decided to make it difficult for you. But if you want, there's going to be one from Romans and one from Deuteronomy. Uh, go ahead and just stay in the Romans one because most of it's going to come from there. I'm going to go into Deuteronomy a little bit. First of all, it's going to be Romans chapter 10, verses 6 through 11. Romans 10, 6 through 11, it says, But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. And then the passage from Deuteronomy is going to sound similar because the, the one in Romans is based off of it. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 11 through 14. For this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, Who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it? Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, Who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it? But the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart, so that you can do it. Let's go ahead and pray today. Dear Lord, thank you so much that we can come here and, and we, can, we can just lay our lives before you and we can worship you with all that we are. And thank you that we can, we can take this word and we can learn from it and we can allow it to change our lives. Please, as I'm preaching today, please let these be your, your words, not mine. Please come and preach through me so that we do have the, the life-transforming word that you gave us, and that lives would be transformed and that people change tonight. Amen. Everyone in this room has been lied to. I don't mean they've been lied to at some point in life. I mean there's a specific lie that everybody in this room has been told. And some of us have even believed it. Some of us have believed it wholesale. We've accepted it and we say it outright. Some of us wouldn't admit to it, but we've let it affect the way we do things. We've let it affect our actions. And some of us, we haven't let it affect our actions yet but we've let it affect us emotionally, and we've begun to get discouraged by it. The lie is generally told in the form of a story, a story about an elephant and four blind men. You've probably heard it before. One day, four blind men were walking along the road, and they came across an elephant. Now, of course, being blind, they had no clue what this thing was. They couldn't see it, and so they started feeling around it to you know, see if they could figure it out. One of them, he reached up and he grabbed the elephant's leg and he said, I, I think I know what this is. This must be a tree because it's, it's, it's big and round and solid. This is definitely a tree. But the second blind man, he didn't grab the leg. He grabbed the tail and he said, no, no, this can't be a tree. It's, it's long and thin and it bends. This has got to be a rope that we're talking about. Third blind man said, no, 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 you're both wrong. Because he grabbed the trunk and he said, this is clearly a snake. And it, just, just feel it. It's a snake. And the fourth blind man had touched the elephant's stomach. And he said, you guys are all insane. This is a wall. 
What the story is supposed to illustrate is our knowledge about God. You know, it, it's supposed to show how we each know a part of God. We know each know a little bit about him, and so we can't really argue with each other because we don't, we're not seeing what the other person sees. And so it doesn't matter what religion you are or what else you do, we all have our, our little bit of knowledge of God, and we should be happy with that. It's a nice story, but ultimately it's a lie. I, I read a different version of this story once, and I think this it's more in line with what the Bible says. In this story, there are still four blind men, and they come along and they find the elephant again. And they go through the same argument. One thinks the, tr the leg is a tree, another thinks that the tail is a rope, the other one thinks that the trunk is a snake, and so on. And they're arguing about it, and then they're in the same predicament as before. They can't figure out what it is. So what's the difference? Well, in this story, it's a talking elephant. And just when they're at their, at, at the, the, in the heat of their argument, just when they, they, they can't figure out you know, what to do about it and they're ready to come to the blows, the elephant says, hey, what are you guys doing? I'm an elephant. I know what I am. I can tell you what I am. I'm an elephant. At this point, up, up to this point, they were, they were justified. They were right in saying, we don't really know what it is. They were right in just being content with what they had. But as soon as the elephant spoke, they, they couldn't say that anymore. They were responsible for what the elephant told them. Well, it's the same way about our knowledge with God. You could say that the elephant has spoken. That's what we're going to be talking about today in this sermon. The word of God is very near you. Because God has spoken to you. If you look at the passage, there's really two parts of it. First, Paul tells us about this lie, and then he tells us the truth to confront it. So that's how we're going to approach this. We're going to, first of all, look at the lie in the passage, and then we're going to look at the truth. The lie really divides into two parts. The first part of the lie attacks our source of, of knowledge about God. It says, yeah, I know that you have a word, but that word isn't from God. Look with me at verse, uh, verse 6 of Romans chapter 10. It says, but the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down. Now, at first glance, that verse, at least to me, seemed a little bit confusing. And the first time I read it, I said, wow, I, I, I bet God's making a really good point right there, but... I have no clue what it is. So I, I, I did some research. I looked it up, and I, I found out that the idea is actually fairly simple once you've got it. Um, we all know that Pastor Steve has an office, and his office is upstairs. So let's say for an instant that, instance that uh, Pastor Steve is in his office, and we want to go talk to him. We want to go sit down and visit with him, find out what he wants. What would we have to do? We'd have to go upstairs. We'd have to ascend to the second floor so we could talk to him. Makes sense. Well, where is God? He's in heaven. So if you want to talk to God, if you want to sit down and visit with him and find out what he wants for you, what he wants you to do with your life, where do you have to go? You have to ascend to heaven. So when they're asking who will ascend to heaven, they're saying, who's going to go for us? 
Who's going to go to God and find out what he wants for us? We don't know what to do without God, so who's going to go? That doesn't seem like such a bad question, but think about what does it say about the word we already have from him? What does it say about this word of God that you know we all have in our hands right now? What does it say about the word of God that we've received in the message? It says that's not good enough. It's denying that the word of God is near us. Once you deny the source of our knowledge about God, you deny everything that the word says. This is the approach the Jewish leaders took to Jesus. Uh, if you look in John chapter 9, verse 29, it says it, it, they're, they're, talking about, they're talking about Jesus, and they say, we know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we don't know where he comes from. We don't know where he comes from. We don't know where he got the word, but we know that it didn't come from God, and so we can reject it. When Jesus taught, he taught that the reason you should listen to him is that he came from God. John 8, 23 through 24, it says, He said to them, You are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Ultimately, our faith in what we believe and our faith in what we do rests on the fact that God has spoken to us. If God has not spoken to us, then all of us who have come to church today are pretty dumb. All right? It's, that's just, just the fact of the matter. There's no point in going to church. There's no point in going to church and hearing people talk about, you know, what some dirty shepherd said 3,000 years ago. Why would you do that? If God has not spoken, then there's no reason to come here. But if God has spoken, if God is still speaking through his word, then there's no reason to go anywhere else. Where else are you going to find, find this? Where else are you going to find a lifeline to God? Where else are you going to find a message straight from the throne room of heaven right down to earth? Nowhere else. And so this is where you need to go. If you believe that the word is from God, then you need to be here. The enemy say, will, will say that the word is not near us because it is not from God. But we must believe that the word has come from God and that it is near to us. And when we believe that, we believe that we can have confidence in what we hear because we know where it comes from. Now that's the first part of the lie. It, it, it attacks the source of our knowledge of God. There's a second part of the lie, and that really attacks uh, the results of our faith. All right, it says, yeah, maybe your word did come from God, but it's not going to work. Maybe your word did come from God, but it can't change your life. Look at verse 7 with me. It says, Or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. If you remember in the Deuteronomy passage, it says it a little bit different. It says, Who will cross over the sea for us and, and bring it to us? And what we're, what we're saying is two different words to convey the same idea, and the idea here is death. All right, in, De in the Deuteronomy passage, we're talking about um, a Hebrew book. And it was written to Hebrews. Well, the Hebrews didn't like water. Right? They really didn't like water. To them, water was death. When they wanted to transport something over the sea, they would actually hire someone from another country to take it for them because they, they were not going to become a seafaring people. They weren't going to go out in the ocean. And it makes sense because 
you know, they, they were sitting there in life and, and they see these people and they get on these boats and the boats go out, but they never come back. And you don't know what happened to them. You just know they're, they're gone and they're never coming back. And so to the Hebrews, the sea is death. Coming into Romans, it's, it's Paul and he's really writing in Greek to Romans and they're in a completely different situation. You know, the Romans didn't mind water at all. Their whole empire was built on, on, on sea trade. And so for, to say to them, who's gonna cross over the sea, you'd get a bunch of volunteers. It wouldn't work. So Paul changes the metaphor. He says, he says not who will cross over the sea, he says who's gonna descend into the abyss. Now, abyss, I mean, even in English, abyss is kind of a scary sounding word. It's gonna send into the abyss. And it's, I mean, it's a deep chasm, and we, we kind of get that idea. People go down into the abyss, but they don't come back up. People go down into this, this dark hole, but they're not coming back up, and the abyss is death. And that's the way we think about it. People die, but they never come back. For us, death is this, this uncrossable, un, un, unpenetrable barrier. We can't get past it. We can't know what's going on on the other side of it because we don't have anybody who went there and then came back. Well, we do have one person, right? Right, we have Jesus. And that's, that, that's the point. It, it's denying the resurrection of Jesus because in Jesus we have, we have faith that we know what's on the other side of this barrier. We know what happens to us after death. And not only that, but we also know that since he went down into the pit and he came back up, when we go down into the pit, when we go down into the abyss, when we die, we're not gonna stay there. We're gonna come back up. Christ's resurrection gives us confidence in what we believe. If Christ had not been raised from the dead, then everything else we do in church is useless. If God did not speak to us, it's, it's what Jesus called uh, the blind leading the blind. Both are going to fall into a pit. But if Christ wasn't raised from the dead, it's a similar situation. It's the dead leading the dead, and they're leading them to death. What's the point? If Christ was not raised from the dead, if there's no resurrection in the dead, there's no point in anything we do. There's no point in living a holy life. There's no point in doing anything that the Bible commands you to do. You might as well just sin to your heart's content because it doesn't make a difference. Look, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to start reading at verse 14. It says, And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then obviously not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. If Christ was not raised from the dead, if I don't have, have any confidence in the fact that after I die, I'm, I, I'm gonna be able to come back, then I should be pitied. I should go out and do, I don't know, whatever I want, because it doesn't make a difference. You can live the most holy life that you can here on earth, and it won't make a difference because you're going to be dead 
just like the rest of the people. But continue reading at verse 20. It says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. We are not, we are not people who, who sit around and worry about death. Death is a terrifying thing. It's the most terrifying thing, and if we don't have any resurrection, if we don't have any faith in the resurrection of the dead, we ought to be scared. We ought to be terrified, because we're going to go there, and it's all going to be over. I don't know about you, but I mean, to me, that's a frightening thing. But if I have faith in the resurrection of Christ, well, then suddenly that changes my whole way of life. Suddenly I don't have to live for this life because I know that I'm going to come back. I'm going to come back from the dead because he has come back from the dead before me. We're the only people in the world who do not need to fear death. And we should live like it. We've been talking about the lie in this passage. We've been talking about the fact that, you know, the, the lie that the word doesn't really come from God and that we can't really have confidence after death. And, I mean, it, the reason I started studying this passage personally cause I, is because I was interested in it. But I think once we really grasp the meaning of it, grasp what he's trying to tell us, it goes from interesting to, to life transforming. Once we understand what Paul is telling us, once we understand that we have a message directly from God and that we, have, we, we can have faith in life after death, it, it completely changes everything we do. Pastor Steve, you, you preached about trusting in the Lord today. But if either of these things are true, why should we? Or if either of these things are not true, if, if, if the word of God didn't really come from God, if we don't have faith in the resurrection of the dead, why should we? You talked about trusting God with our finances, about, about putting ourselves in God's hands and letting him uh, control all the money in our lives, whether we have employment, and, and you give to God and, and he takes care of you. But if either of these things are true, why should we? You're putting, if either of these things, if, if if God didn't speak to us, and if the resurrection of the dead isn't true, then we shouldn't. We're putting our trust in an untrustworthy message. We're putting our trust in an untrustworthy word. But if God has spoken, then there is nothing on earth that is more trustworthy. If the Christ has not been, if Christ has been raised from the dead, then there's nothing on earth that is more trustworthy because we know that. Even if, even if God doesn't bless us in this life, he's going to bless us in the next. And we can rely on, on, on the resources of the God who you know, owns the cattle on a thousand hills when we trust God with our finances. And so that's really the difference. It's the difference between a God we can trust and a God we can't trust. We need to believe that the word is near you. Up to now, we've been talking about the lie in this passage, the lie that the message didn't come from God and the lie that, that we can't have faith in the resurrection of the dead. But now we're going to go ahead and talk about the truth in the passage. We're going to talk about what God's message for you really is. 
We examined the lies so that we could have confidence in the truth. And now we're going to look at the truth. And the truth is that the word is near you. The word of God is near each and every one of you. What is this word? What is this word that is near to us? It is the word of salvation. Look in, in uh, Romans 10 again. Verses, verses 8 and 9, it says, But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The word here is salvation, and it's the greatest word on earth. It is the word that has taken us from sinners to saints. It is the word that, is, that, that we have a Savior. That we don't have to do it on our own. That we don't have to rely on our own strength or our own understanding or our own anything else. We can rely on God. Unfortunately, some of us have forgotten this word. You know, we used that word for salvation that first time. And then after that, we set it aside. Because after all, once we're saved, we don't need a Savior, right? No. No, no, no. We still need a Savior. As long as there's sin, we're going to need a Savior. And when we're saved, we don't have to sin, but sometimes we do, right? And if you sin, you still need a Savior. And that's the word that's near to you. The word is that you have a Savior from your sin. But more than that, we need a Savior in the other areas of our lives. Some of you have sickness in your life right? You need a savior from that? You need a savior who's going to bring a supernatural power into your life and change something you can't? You need a savior there? Some of you need a savior in your finances. You know, some of you are looking at it and say, this isn't going to work anymore. I can't, I mean, I can't do this. There's more money going out than there's money coming in. I need a savior. Salvation means throwing ourselves on God as our, as, as our rescuer in every area, whether that's sin, whether that's health, whether that's finances, whether that's our actions, whether that's anything else. In all things, God is our Savior. God is our salvation, and that word of salvation is near to us. Some of you need that word right now. Some of you need to see the grace of Christ where you are right now. God has an answer for you. God has a word for you, and that word is very near to you. What does it mean that the word is near to us? All right, we have this word. Why is it near to us? Why does it even bother saying that? Well, simply put, the fact that the word is near to us means that we're going to be able to respond to it. I really, the way I like to think about it is I, I, I really like the beach. You know, I like to go there, and I, I like to go and smell the salt water and, and get in the salt water and sometimes uh, Jessica and I will go to the beach and you know we swim around and I absolutely love the salt water it doesn't really bother my eyes too much or anything like that but Jessica is a little different when Jessica goes up swimming in the salt water it gets in her eyes and it really starts to burn her you know you know the feeling and when that does that she, ne she needs a solution she needs a word unfortunately I have one her, we'll be uh, swimming out in the ocean, and her eyes will start to burn. And I say, well, you don't need to do that. Just, just wash them out with fresh water. Just wash them out with fresh water, and they'll be fine. 
Now that's an example of a word, one that's, you know, that would work, but it's not a word that's near to her because she's in the middle of the ocean. She doesn't have any fresh water to wash her eyes out with. That's the difference between a word and a word that is near to you. If God just presents a word, but it's not near to you, then you don't know if it's going to actually make any difference. Look, 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 look at uh, verse, uh, chapter 10, verses um, 9 and 10. It's telling us how to be saved. It says, because if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Now, what, what I want you to see here is what we need to be saved. What, what body parts, if you will, do you need to be saved? You need your mouth, you need your heart. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised from the dead, you'll be saved. So mouth and heart, that's what you need. Where has God put his word? Verse 8, the word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. God went and he knew exactly where you needed that word in order to be saved. God knew exactly what you would need to use in order for that word to make a difference in, in your life. God knew where to put that word in order for it to be accessible to you, and that's where he put it. We do not serve a God who makes impossible demands in order for him to save us. We don't serve a God who makes impossible demands in order for us to be rescued out of life. We serve a God who takes his word, who gives his word to us, and puts it exactly where we need it in order for it to change our lives. We don't need to go to God, to anyone but God for our answer. You know, I talked about earlier, who will ascend to, who will ascend to heaven? You know, who's going to go into heaven for us and talk to God for us? And, you know, we talked about how that's not true, that we don't need to do that because it's already come down. But think for a minute, what would, what would you do if that was true? What would you do if this word wasn't from God? What would you do if you needed to ascend into heaven in order to be saved? What would you do? There's nothing to do. None of us can do that. None of us can go up into heaven. None of us can talk to God without him wanting to talk to us. If God has not spoken to us, then there's nothing left for us but despair. I like the way it, it puts it in, in Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 29. It says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God. Anyone want to try to seal a secret from God? Anyone want to try to go and take something that he's keeping secret take something that he's keeping hidden and, and find it out anyway? Good luck. But look at the second half of the verse. It says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. God has given us his word and it is ours forever. He has put it in our mouths and in our hearts where we need it. And we can put our faith in God. We can trust that the word is near us because we know that he's going to answer correctly. God still wants to make his word near to you today. Everybody in here has issues. Everyone in here has problems. And I want to know that God has you to know that God has an answer for you. God has a word for you, and that word is very near to you. You don't have to go to anyone but God. 
God is your God. God is your Savior, and he will not let you down. His word is near to you. Now let me ask you one more question. We've seen that the word is near to us, but why is it near to us? And think about it. Wouldn't it be um, more useful in another place? Why, don't, why doesn't he just say, okay, we'll, we'll, put, we'll, we'll put the word and we'll give it to you know, the leader of the country so that he can make the decisions and all the rest of the country will you know, be fine. We'll bring it down lower. Why doesn't he give it just to the pastor and say, okay, pastor, here's, your, here's the word. You're in control. You do what you want and everybody else should be fine. Why is it near to you? Well, simply put, so that you can do it. We have confidence in the word so that we can do it. Look at, I, I, I really like how Deuteronomy puts it. Deuteronomy 30, 14. This is, this is one of those um, no-duh moments in scripture where God says something completely obvious and it just completely changes your thinking. It says, uh, but the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. Yeah. So that you can do it. That's why the word is near to you. Everything I've said till now is, is really to build your confidence in the word. Everything I've said to now is so that you can, you can hear it and you can say, yeah, this is a word I can trust. This is a word that I can put my faith in so that you can do it. We talked about the fact that the message came straight from God so that you know that this message is straight from God and you can trust a message straight from God. We talked about the fact that, that Christ rose from the dead and that we're going to rise from the dead afterward so that we can have absolute faith that the word, that the word is near to us, that it's, it, it has the power needed to, to accomplish what it needs to do. We talked about the fact that the word is, is the word of salvation so you can have faith that even though you're not worthy of it, even though you're not capable of it, God is capable of it and God will pull you out and he will, he will, he will save you. We talked about the fact that the word is near you so that you know that it's not something that's, that's far away, not something that you can't do, but it's something that, that's right where you need it to be. Why did we talk about all this? We had talked about this so that we know that we can trust God. We know that we can trust this word that is near to us so that we can do it. God will move heaven and earth to answer your problems. God has moved heaven and earth to answer your problem. Look at John chapter 1, verse 14. It says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, the glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. How far is God willing to go to make his word near to you? How far is God willing to go to give you the answer to your problem, to save you out of where you are. Well, if you really want to know, go back to that word, of, that, that, that word, in, that message in tongues that we had earlier. What do you say? Am, can you trust me? Well, am I trustworthy? They say, look at the nail marks in my arms. Am I trustworthy? We serve a God who, even though he was God, he became human. He came to earth. He walked among us. He was, he was beaten. He was spat on. He went to the cross and died. Can we trust him? 
Can we trust that his word is near to us? I hope so. God will stop at nothing, not even the death of his own son, to see that you have your answer, to see that the word is near to you. But you have to respond to that answer. You have to respond to that word in order for it to change you. That's why he gave it to you. Could I have someone from uh, one of the cameras come up real quick? Go ahead and play. I don't know all of your situations. I don't know what problem is going on in your life. I don't know if you're dealing with sin. I don't know if you're dealing with health or dealing with finances or dealing with what else. And because I don't know your situation, I don't know specifically what the word is that is near to you. But I do know that the word is near to you. I know that God wants to save you in your situation, however that may be. And I want you to trust. I want you to trust God. And I want you to trust that his word is near to you problem is that even though God has, you know, said it, even though God has, has, has tried to bring it home that his word is near to us, we still doubt it. You know, there, there are three different ways you can doubt something. And some of us have used all three and some of us are content with one. The first way you can doubt something, and the first way that some people deny, doubt that the word is near you, is to deny, doubt it in their minds. God says the word is near to you and they say no no it's not I don't believe that I don't believe that God has spoken to me I don't believe that I have a savior if that's you tonight then you need to repent the word of the Lord for you in this passage is repent believe Confess Jesus Christ as Lord. Believe in your heart that he raised from the dead and you will be saved. And I think most of us haven't, haven't really doubted him on the level of the mind. Most of us haven't said in our minds, no, I, I don't think that. But we've let it influence the way we do things. And that's the second way you can doubt something. You don't say, I don't believe that the word is near to me, but you won't let it change your life. You won't trust God in what you do. You won't trust God on the level of your sin. You won't give it up. You won't fight it. You won't, you won't ask for his power in fighting it. You won't go to him for forgiveness because you don't believe that the word is near to you. You won't trust him when it comes to what you do, when it comes to your, your health or your finances. You don't believe that God can save you or you don't believe that he will save you. If that's you, think about, I want you to think about what these verses say. I want you to think about the fact that the God of all the universe, the God who created the heaven and the earth, has come down and he has spoken a message directly to you. I want you to think about the fact that that passage, that that message has the power to change your life. Think about the fact that that word has the power to speak life and put life into 
was right now your death. Think about who God is. Think about what God has done. And then let that dictate the way you do things. Let that influence what you do when you walk out of here. The third way to doubt something is with your emotions. And that one's the hardest to check. You know, you're not saying that you don't think that the word is near you. And you're trying not to let it influence the way you do things, but you're getting discouraged. You know, it's hard. It's hard to believe that the word is near you because it, it just doesn't seem like that. It doesn't seem like that in your life. It doesn't seem like God is changing it. God has not forgotten about you. You might not know how he's working, but he hasn't forgotten about you. The word is near to you. In closing, I'd, I'd really like to just close with, with a little bit of prayer. You can, you can come down to the altars and you can pray there or you can just pray in your seats. just want you to pray about who God is. Pray about who he is, who, who, who the God that, that would do this for you, that would bring the word down. Pray about and think about why you can have this confidence. And I want you to think through what you do. Think through what you do in your life. And you think about what difference that would make. Thank you. 
tonight saying for that
Amen. Because of his great love for us, folks, he has given us his word. And I'm thankful tonight that his word is near us. It is available. It is accessible. It's near. It's in our hearts. It's in our mouths. Thank you, Pastor James. Thank you for bringing the word of the Lord tonight. Good job. Amen. And as we leave here tonight, everyone standing, as we leave here tonight, may we say, it has been good to be in God's house on this Sunday morning. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's just thank God one more time for a great day in his house, a great day in his presence. Help me thank Living Canvas one more time for their ministry and their worship today. God bless you. Hug on somebody's neck. Greet somebody before you leave. And have a great, great night. Amen. Your name is like honey on my lips. Your spirit.